or have them. We have looked at quite a few things on the subject of habit. Hopefully this has been helpful to you. We understand this morning uh, the way our brain operates, that uh, once we go down a certain path a few times, our brain kicks in and we begin to follow that path subconsciously or without having to actually think about it. We just simply start moving in that direction so that uh, so much of what we do, according to Duke University, 40% of all the decisions we make on a given day are made out of habit. You don't even think about it anymore. You just simply uh, do that when you go to work. And when you get up in the morning, you get yourself ready. You're basically following the same routine that you follow every day. You don't really think much about it. You don't you know, think, do I put my leg, left leg first, right leg first? Uh, everything you do, you do out of habit. Uh, how many have ever just driven down the road in the morning and you're no longer even thinking about it? You're just driving because you go down the same road. Well, that's the way our brain operates. We just go down the same road over and over again. And so understanding that fact, then we believe that, you know what, if I create good habits, then good choices don't always have to be very difficult choices. Good choices can become the, 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 uh, the normal thing that I do. Uh, I have said again, and I know I'm repeating myself, but because uh, the brain needs to hear things over and over again, but uh, Sunday morning provides a great example. Coming to church, uh, for some, is an easy choice. For others, it's a difficult choice because they're not in the habit of doing it. For some, sleeping in is the easy choice. Uh, and, and so our whole lives are uh, uh, conducted like this, and so... If we can figure out how to uh, uh, establish good habits where we do things because uh, we know that they're right and we start making good decisions, then those good decisions become uh, more and more often, they become uh, the, the default uh, in our lives and it makes serving God so much easier when you and I are serving God and we're contending uh, in those areas. Now, what we begin to talk about is we begin to talk about breaking habits. Because normally when you mention a habit, people don't think of good things, they think of bad things. And we wanted to look at understanding what we know now about how habits work or where they come from. Then the real issue is, okay, how can I break a bad habit? One of the things that we said is that it's possible to have habits broken from your life uh, upon salvation only that still deal with other areas of your life that didn't just fall away. And kind of struggling and trying to figure out why that is so. So we said, first of all, we talked about deliverance. God can come down and set us free. He can deliver us. There are, there's a supernatural dimension. That is what deliverance means. And we use the example of the children of Israel in Egypt. Bible says they were in 400 years of bondage, 10 generations. The habit of slavery was ingrained in them. Servitude was ingrained in them. And then God sent Moses and the power of God was with him. And he delivered them from 10 generations of bondage. He set them free. They didn't do that on their own. That was not a 12-step program. That wasn't the power of positive thinking. That wasn't seven habits of highly effective people or anything like that. It was God stepping in. And many, many people here can say 
When I got saved, God delivered me. Habits in my life set me free. I didn't do that on my own. This wasn't the power of positive thinking. It was faith in Jesus Christ and his power set me free. Okay, so we understand that. We laid that foundation. Then we move from that to some practical areas by understanding how the brain works. We begin to realize, okay, then if this is so, then there's a way that I can find victory and deliverance in my life in some practical areas. And, and so uh, I want to kind of go back to that. Gilbert's going to read for us Luke 4, 16 through 19. This is our foundational uh, passage. And we're going to look at this today. And then we're going to uh, uh, finish off this Sunday school by just spending time over the next week or two talking about some good habits. That it's not enough just to break bad habits. But what are the habits that every one of us can establish in our lives. And so we'll get to that uh, a little bit later. Gilbert, read that for us this morning. <clears throat> and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Okay, so uh, we, we've been looking at this as our foundation passage because in it, it uh, mentions the power of habit. We see the Lord Jesus who had habits or customs. The Bible says that he was in the synagogue and that was his custom, that, that, uh, that Jesus' life was a life of habit. His life was a life of pattern where he did the right things again and again and again. And, uh, and then we find the other side of habit in lost humanity. The Bible says that was imprisoned and that was bound. And the idea is that uh, their will had been frustrated and they were now given over to things and Jesus came to liberate them from this pattern of behavior, from this bondage to habit. So, so we see uh, uh, how this operates both for the good and the bad. Now, what we began to talk about was, okay, how do I break a bad habit? Okay, we understand that God gets involved and he delivers us and he sets us free. But how then, what can I do begin to change. And so um, let me open it up this morning. Um, anybody remember what we talked about? What was the first thing that a person can do who wanted to break a bad habit? And Brent Harris. Begin with one habit. Start with one. Okay. Begin with one habit. That's kind of a weak pen here. Begin with one, that if you wanted to break a habit, then you need to start by focusing on one habit of your life. Because the truth is that if we are honest, we got a lot more than one bad habit. And uh, they have found in studies that there are such things as keystone habits, that if you could uh, uh, focus in on one habit, that that one habit 
broken creates a momentum to deal with other habits. We use the example of debt. If you have a lot of debt, you list all your debts. Then the way to deal with debt is to target one debt, preferably either the smallest debt or the debt with the highest interest rate, and then service the other debts with minimums, and then attack that one debt and remove that debt. And when you see yourself paying off one debt, that gives you confidence to begin to attack another debt until your debts get resolved. Well, the same thing is true with your habits. That you could sit down on a piece of paper and write down your bad habits, look at that, and these are things that maybe you've prayed about, things that you've believed God for on and on, but yet you're still struggling with, and then say, I'm going to deal with this one, then things will change. Uh, we read the story about a woman named Lisa Allen who, who uh, numerous bad habits. Her own testimony is that she was uh, 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 addicted to cigarettes. She was uh, drinking. She was obese. She uh, uh, was horrible with finances. She couldn't hold a job. She had been divorced, and she was depressed. And her own story was when she decided that she wanted to go on a particular vacation that was going to demand uh, some physical effort, that she decided that she would just stop smoking so she could go on this vacation. That was all it was. And so she made a commitment to stop smoking. And so when she did that, she said, instead of smoking, I'm just going to jog around the block, kind of get my lungs back. And she began to jog, and, and she began to jog, and she began to drop a little weight. Then she said, well, maybe I ought to change my eating habits. Uh, and uh, in less than three years, she went from an uh, 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 entire adult life of obesity and alcohol and cigarettes uh, and bankruptcy and all the problems that in three years she lost weight, stopped smoking, stopped drinking, started running marathons, uh, was able to get out of debt and get married. And uh, she's uh, a case study because it all started with just saying, I'm going to just deal with one habit. I'm going to deal with something in my life. And when I make a decision, we read a quote uh, about uh, the benefit of exercise goes way beyond exercise, that when people begin exercise, begins to reach in every other area of their life. Making your bed, uh, we can go on and on and on, but the idea is that one thing has the power to change you. So I want to open it up before I uh, move on here, because what happens after Sunday school is all these people come up to me and say, oh, you didn't see my hand, or I should have lifted my hand. And I want to open up for testimony this morning. Uh, people, you're thinking about this. Some of you have been coming every Sunday. You, you, we've, you know what we're talking about. Uh, do we have any testimonies of people that said, you know what, I dealt with one thing in my life, and when I did that, it began to benefit me somewhere else? Let me see your hand. Okay, Ed, anybody else? Uh, you know, I've got Victory and Jeremy Nickerson. Anybody else? Okay, Ed. Well, just when I started coming to church, I remember um, my friend, just a simple conversation, and starting off with that conversation, it led to another and I ended up coming to church one time just, you know, because he's my best friend. And uh, I told him, okay, I'll, I'll come to church because my family's going and I'll go because, you know, out of respect for you. You know, I've seen your life change. And so I started going and out of that, I remember I prayed one time in El Paso. But out of that, you can see everything started changing. 
you know, I, I, I didn't quit smoking right away, but my way of thinking, um, the way I started, you know, talking and, and uh, you know, and then slowly I, I stopped smoking and then I decided to stop drinking. And like that lady said, you know, it just started with just wanting to take care of one thing. I know for sure it was, I stopped drinking because I just went to sleep every time I got, I, I got, you know, a little drunk. And so I was just wasting my time. So I decided to stop with that, <clears throat> and then, um, and then it started with smoking, and then, and then it went on to my language, and then the way I treated my kids, and then my wife, and next thing you know, you know, it just took off. But it was just because I simply said, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do one thing, go to church because, you know, it's, kids are my friend, and I think it's right. Say, Matt, making a decision, saying I'm going to deal with something in my life, Jeremy. Uh, Turn up for, the monitor, by the way. I can't hear that well. Start for me, uh, making it, finally making it a, a built-in part of my schedule to make it to prayer, to morning prayer. Um, it, uh, not that I was a bad worker, but it took what was already better than those around me and made it eat that much more better. Um, getting to morning prayer meant that I was going to get to work on time every day without exception because... I, I'm already up, I'm already dressed for work, I have everything that I need for work, and I'm praying until it's time to go to work. Um, so getting to, to morning prayer made it to where I was able to get to work on time every day, no matter what the circumstance. Um, my work ethic was a lot higher even than it was before because now my mind is in the right place. I'm not doing this just because this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to work better than those around me. No, now it was I'm truly working unto God. I want my, my life throughout the day to be pleasing to God. Why? Because he's already on my mind. Um, also, it made it to where my, my all, another thing that contributed to the work ethic being better was I was fully rested. Well, how if you're getting up earlier for morning prayer? Well, when you know you're going to get up early for prayer, you tend to go to sleep on time the night before, um, which also makes your mood when you get home better. So I'd get home. I'm a lot more patient with our millions of kids, a lot more understanding of my wife's exhaustion. And, um, and then again, like I said, you get into bed on time now. So um, it caused a, a chain reaction that wasn't intended, wasn't expected, but was definitely needed uh, in life. So Very good. Uh, get, get uh, somebody get for us Luke sixteen ten Luke sixteen ten. Let's look at this verse again. Daniel and uh, 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 Philippians three thirteen and fourteen. Those, uh, James, while they're getting that, so so here are our testimonies of say, you know what? When I did this, God moved very powerfully uh, and began to reach into other areas of my life. Our brother says. When I made a decision, I'm going to get up and go to morning prayer. That was a decision. I just going to make this decision to be in prayer meeting. It'll help me. But not realizing this is going to cause me to get to work on time. This was going to cause me to, uh, uh, when I get to work, to have my, be in a better place mentally, which means when I get home from work, I'm going to get to, in a better place. One decision, one area that can lead to uh, so many other benefits in our lives, Luke 16, 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. You know, we keep coming back to this verse in this Sunday school that it's this faithfulness or this victory over the thing that is small 
that has this benefit in the future, that it is, it is winning these battles. And the reason is because that all habits are the product of a small thing done over and over and over again. And when we are faithful in those little things, we create this powerful, powerful uh, force for good. I, I think I may have mentioned to you, uh, uh, you know, about Tony Dungy, the football coach who was uh, the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for many years, and then he finally went off to the Colts and he won a Super Bowl. That, you know, I remember when Tony Dungy played for the University, or for Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he was a very, very good uh, uh, football player, but he had idea, he had a, a concept about coaching that was kind of revolutionary. And that is, instead of giving all your players mountains of information and this massive playbook on offense and defense, you know, the, the myth that to play football, you don't have to have any brains, it's absolutely not true in the NFL. The, 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 the level of complexity is, is amazing nowadays, and all the information that all these players have to sort through before every play. But his idea was, rather than give them mountains of information, what he was going to do is drill into them habits over and over again so that they did the same thing all the time. And so it was a drilling them, everything, so that they would make the, the right move over and over again before he said that they would stand there and they would study this and study this defense would study that and this movement and if they guy, this guy went that way and this guy did this and, and, and so they have this mountain of data they were trying to process in three seconds and then they would act. He taught them to forget all of that and focus on just one thing, depending on position you play, just that one thing and the moment you see that, move. And he took a very, very a poor team. And if you're, you're a little bit older, remember, he turned the, the Buccaneers into one of the best defensive team in football. And the reason was simply by getting them to focus on just one thing and to do that. And then what was interesting is they began to do research and find out that the Buccaneers were a team that would do very well all the way up until the last five minutes of the game. They were losing their games in the last five minutes. And he started realizing it was because that under pressure, they were not sticking to their habits. And he said what finally turned the corner and turned them into a, 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 an elite program was teaching them and drilling these habits so that under pressure, they didn't change. They were able to maintain their habits. And, and uh, uh, they mentioned in the, in the book about uh, uh, alcoholics and uh, a lot of times people who do really well, but it's under pressure. The last five minutes of the game, if you will, where they get in a fight with their wife, they get laid off their job or something happens, that all those good habits that they've employed go out the window and they default back into their destructive behavior. That to win in these small things in your life makes all the difference in the world. Brent? Um, I was just thinking, I read an interesting article, and, um, and it was talking about how, uh, I mean, it, it was a secular article, but it talked about how uh, Christians are more admitted to uh, 
uh, admit more to quote unquote sinning. And I was thinking about that, and the article made a good point is that uh, so many times, and you know, especially as a church kid, I know this because so many times we focus on forgiveness and not repentance. And, um, and so people will, they, they might have a habit and, and they feel guilty of it and, and they ask for forgiveness, but they don't truly repent of it. And I remember you preached a sermon a few years ago that really changed my life was um, I was battling through some things and you, you said, you know, one of the reasons we stop sinning is because we love God so much that we don't want to sin. And uh, by knowing that, you know what, God loved me so much that he would die upon the cross for my sin. And uh, he, if he is my true king, if he's my true savior, then I love him so much that I'm willing to, to break this habit, break whatever I'm going through because I don't want to disappoint him. And it wasn't about everyone else. It wasn't about so much about being in ministry or disappointing my family members. It was about disappointing him. And when I got that revelation, I said, you know what? I'm going to change this thing because I love him that much. Very good. That uh, if you could focus in on saying, I, I, you know, I just want to love God. I want to have a relationship with God. That would go a long way towards a lot of other areas of our lives. The Apostle Paul, Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do. The Apostle Paul says the way I was able to live for God successfully is that I just did one thing. I could just focus on one thing. Doing those one things can make all the difference in my life. Not a million things. Just that one thing. What can I do? You know, sometimes it's just, hey, you need to come to church. Pastor Mitchell, I was uh, uh, up in a rally a while, not long ago, and he preached a sermon, a tremendous sermon. But in the sermon, he told a story about a man named Jeff Beswick who... Uh, had grown up, had become a drug addict. His drug addiction led him to a mental institution. And uh, he managed to be in Rochester, New York, years ago, in the beginning of that church, and had been witnessed to. And because he was kind of a street guy, just, just, he was a mental patient. And the church was out on the streets, and they would run into him. And he came along to church one day, answered an altar call, totally confused in his mind, and uh, when he came in, you know, there was not this dramatic conversion, there this wasn't this instant change, but in the church, he felt some warmth, some acceptance, he found people that had come from the past that he'd come from, that were living for God, and he would go to the pastor, and all the pastor could say to him is, Jeff, just keep coming. No long counseling sessions, no, you know, therapy. Jeff just keep coming to church. That was it. They didn't get any further than that. No long renounced this. or they, well, He wasn't there yet. All it was is just keep coming to church. And so with all of his baggage, all of his problems, he, would just, he just kept coming to church and just kept coming to church. That was the one thing he could do. Couldn't do anything else. But he kept coming. Guess what? God started breaking in on his life. Slowly but surely, Walls and barriers and, and uh, strongholds began to fall. Today, Jeff Beswick is a pastor. 
And I remember when uh, Pastor Mitchell, he had mentioned that story to me in a private conversation. And I was like, Jeff Beswick? I know Jeff. He's sharp. You look at him today, you think this young man probably graduated from an Ivy League university, you know. He's a very sharp man, you know. And, and, and Jeff Beswick? But it didn't start out. It was just one thing, you know, come to church. Sometimes when you tell people, and people, and, and, and a million things, and, and they want, and sometimes well-meaning people, you need to talk to my pastor. You know, and I, I, I don't know what they think I'm going to do. And sometimes it's, you know what, just keep coming. That's it. Just, just keep coming. Why? Because it's the one good decision you can make. One habit that you can get into. And by simply coming and placing yourself in the presence of God and around right people, things begin to change in your life. Amen. That's why if you're following up on somebody, don't try to push too much into them too soon. You can't feed a steak to a baby. Don't try to solve every problem in their life. Marathon counseling sessions. Because it's not, it's not dealing with a million things, but it's you know, this one thing. Jesus said to Martha, when Martha got upset about her sister Mary, who wasn't in the kitchen helping, but was at his feet, he says, Mary's chosen that one good thing. He said, you know what? I need to get in the presence of God. I need God to help me. Don't make it too complicated this morning. Anybody else? Hey, Chris. When you uh, talked about the Buccaneers, which is hard for me to remember because I, when I was a kid, the Buccaneers were a terrible team. But um, you were saying in the last five minutes under pressure, they would forget the habits that they have. I uh, heard this story the other day, and... Um, there were these tech companies and they said they were trying something new that they would spend tons of money on their CEOs or hiring these up and comers and they would try and they were all kind of pulling from this handful of people and each of the big companies were vying for one of them and so their salaries were outrageous and there were kind of it was kind of a gamble what they started doing is they wanted someone who had success suffered a failure uh, or they had some kind of setback, um, uh, and, and the guy was saying, that's the person we're looking for. And the reason why they said is because they have what it takes to win, they have the habits and things in place, and oftentimes they got placed into a company that either wasn't uh, doing what it should be doing, or it was the setback was more circumstantial. It wasn't based upon their character or whatever you know was going on with this individual, that they could make it, and they knew that. And now they had a reason to fight to really get it done, but he was making the statement that the habits that they have are intact. We already know because they, they had this great win. And he gave this list of all these different uh, CEOs and, and tech execs that had taken this company into success and rocketed. And then they went to this other place and it didn't work out well. But then they hired that, they wanted that person, got them. And the company that they put them in took off because they said they already had what they needed. They had the habits and stuff in place to, to make it successful. They just needed that opportunity. Yeah. Boy, that's a good illustration for a lot of areas. Anybody else? Okay, the second thing and we talked about was that if you wanted to change your habits, you need to be around the right people. And that is relationships. If you wanted to change, quit hanging around people with the bad habits that you have and start hanging around people that have the habits you want. Pretty basic. Get these scriptures again really quickly. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Lift your hand if you want to read that. 
Robert and Proverbs 13, verse 20, Josh Dale. Have uh, relationships with people that have the habits you want and quit hanging around people with the habits, you know. You say, oh, I hate gossip. Well, then don't hang around people who gossip, right? I learned a long time ago about church dynamics that people who are always caught up with the gossip and the gossip are the gossips because they live in that little world of conflict and strife and all that, and they live in that, and they feed off of that. And so their, their impression is this is everybody, but it's not everybody. It's the social group they choose to be with. If you change who you associate with, your associations, then you're going to carry on the habits of those around you. I don't have the article in front of me. I, I don't think I need to. I, I don't think you're going to disagree with me that they've done a study that heavier people, guess what? Hang around heavier people. And the, the reason that is so is their social life is built around food. And, and as a result of that, they've said that a lot, but their learning is that if somebody wanted to, to say, I need to you know, get a handle on this area of my life, it, they're going to have a hard time getting that if, if all their social life is surrounded with people that everything is built around, let's go eat here, let's go, I heard about this place, this is all you can eat. And, uh, and, and, you know, you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to realize I am very much a reflection of my relationships. And if I wanted to break a habit, I can't be around those people that reinforce that habit in my life. If you're a smoker, you go out and everybody around you pulls out a cigarette, guess what? You're pulling out a cigarette. You're a drinker, you're going to go around people that are drinking, then it's going to be that much easier for you to drink. And so that if I wanted to change a habit in my life, I need to get around good habits. One of the basics of conversion, why we were able to change, is that in our salvation, we begin to go to church and begin to associate with people who had different habits. Okay? That may sound too simplistic to you, we love to keep it, the theory of it, you know, well, you know, I just got delivered and God set me free, and absolutely. But he takes the solitary and he puts them in families. And when you leave the party life, you begin to go around, hang around people who pray and who come to church, who don't use profanity, then guess what? You're going to start going to church, you're going to start praying, and you're going to quit cussing. Something's going to happen to you just purely by the benefit of who you choose to associate with. 1 Corinthians 15, Let's read that again. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Proverbs 13, verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but, corrupt, uh, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. So we see it, and we can use many, many other verses this morning, but I think you know... That simply so changing your associations will do this. I see a hand there, B, Beatrice, Kim, and David. Um, I have a 
a sister who is constantly back and forth in drugs and everything, and so she is required to take uh, classes. And in these classes, they teach her about, you know, habits and stuff like that and, you know, how to change her life and make the right decisions. And uh, one day I was encouraging her, like, you need to stick it out. You need to, you know, continue doing what you're doing. I said, because, you know, the people you hang out with is who you eventually be. And so she looked at me and she was all shocked. And she's like, what? And she's like, what did you say? And I said, the people you hang out with is what you're going to be like. And she's like, that's what they tell me in my classes. And I said, what? She's like, yeah, in all my classes, they say, if you're going to hang out with druggies, you're going to be a druggie. If you're going to hang out with those that drink, you're going you know, to eventually drink. She goes, that's what they tell me. And I go, that's what the Bible says. Yeah. And, I said, and she's like, what, really? And I'm like, yes. I said, so, you know, you have to hang out with the right people if you want to make the right decisions. And she was all shocked and everything. And she's like, wow. She goes, but what if it's your family? And I said, well, you don't hang out with them. I said, it's okay to associate with them. I said, I told her, I don't hang out with them like 24 hours a day. I said, I go, say hi, you know, do my social thing. I said, but I don't hang out with them. I said, because eventually they're going to affect the way I, I think. And so she was all freaking out. Very good, B. You know, um, uh, very good point. And that is sometimes familiar the one that is a carrier of the habit. Amen. And a lot of times, you know, that's where you get real tested. You know, if, if, if family are the carriers of the habit, then you better, better make a stand with your family. Amen. You know, one of the things I noticed having pastored in this city so long, and I always blame the south side, but I mean, you know, you can live on the north side and have a south side spirit, um, is the, the money habit that I picked up years ago because we started pastoring when we were out on Zarzamora, the money habit in San Antonio, which you've heard me preach on, but for the two or three of you that haven't heard this, it is the idea of um, uh, where, you know, we come from a family where they have debt, poverty, uh, you know, banks, uh, they, our faces on the side of the bank there, you know, and uh, so many bounce checks. And then... You know, they want to have this kind of weird relationship with you where, you know, they, you borrow the money from them, they borrow money from you, they can't pay their electric bill, they expect you to pay it, they give you an old broken down car, uh, and now you owe them, and later on in life, you find yourself trapped in the same cycle of poverty that your family came from. And it's because you've got all these conduits of a financial connection with them. And it looked good in the beginning when you were young, and if you needed something, you just go to the familia, and you can't pay a bill, they pay it for you. But now you're in your mid-30s, and you're, and you're trapped in this cycle of poverty because their financial habits have now become your financial habits. We have no problem identifying it when it comes to alcohol or cigarettes, but yet it, that those habits become your habits. And now all of a sudden you're in debt, all the vehicles are broken all the time, uh, bounce checks, and now you're turning to them, and they're when you have a need, and they and then they turn you have a need, and and I always tell people, listen, if you're smart, you will break that habit. You'll become your own autonomous, independent financial state. Get yourself in order, tithe, obey God, pay your bills, learn how to save some money, learn how to upgrade your car from no air conditioning to. Windows that roll down or whatever it has, you know, 
and you move your way up the ladder, and then down the road when your family has a need, you'll be in a position to help them in, in a very real way. But, the truth, but, but what happens is because it's family, a lot of times people don't judge these habits. Say, I can't, I can't be around this. I can't, I can't take on this spirit in my life. All right. Kim. Uh, actually, I was kind of going in opposite direction. I think the Sunday school is so interesting because, you know, you talk so much about habits and then you have the good habits and the bad. Um, with the relationships, for me, I was actually thinking of the, the good. You know, I can remember a time when I was really, really struggling and just going through a lot. You know, I just, just everything in my life just felt like it was flipped upside down. And if it wouldn't have been for those relationships in the church, you know, to help you and to pick you up and to hold you up. And then in the same sense, you know, time goes on and then the same thing where people go through it. And it's like, well, you know, you, you're there and you help them and you pick them up because they were picking you up. And, and the reverse side of just having good habits of, of having that, you know, that family relationship to where when you're going through it, it's not a, a bad influence. Oh, forget it. Just go out and get drunk. No, no, no. You know, you can make it and God's good. And, and, and the flip side of being able to do that. Now, what we're talking about this morning are the practical steps, okay, that I can focus on one thing. I can make a decision on my relationships. You know, it brings things back to a much more balanced approach. How, can, how, can, how could I change? What are the real ways that I could change these things in my life? David? You know, those scriptures remind me of something that you preached a long time ago, and, and uh, I don't know if it was in a conference setting or not, but one thing that was said is don't rob yourself from knowing or being able to get to know some people that give you some wise counsel. And, and the reason I say that is like, you know, you'll have some people, you know, that'll say some, some things to you if you're coming in as a new convert. I remember coming in and, and uh, you want to associate yourself with the right people, people that help you grow. But of course, being that where people fall in nature, you'll hear, well, that's, don't, don't, don't talk to so-and-so or so-and-so. And one thing that was preached is like, you know what, you don't rob yourself of that. You don't even know them first. Why don't you get to know them before you, you, you get this, this uh, uh, mentality that, oh, well, they're like that. How do you know? Did you ever talk to them? And you, one thing was said, it was like you rob yourself of knowing that wise person or the good a married couple that's been married for a long time and, and you don't know anything about them, but you go by hearsay, and yet you could have all these years been hanging around with, associated with right people, but you chose to associate with these people. And so years down the line, you're so upset at the people that you hung out with because you listened to them, and you didn't listen to the Word of God and say, you know what, just why don't you, why don't you go and find out for yourself? And, and, I, and a lot of you're going years down the line, you know, I've ran into that, and I've had people say, you know what, I, I didn't even know you were like this. You know what I mean? I mean uh, and they don't come out and tell me, here, so-and-so said. Or the, you know, but I, can, I understand that, and I'm being mature now. It's like, hey, no worry about it. Let's just go forward, and God love you. And, and, and it's like it's an amazing relationship that starts from that point on. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, it's not like, you know, you're, like, you're saying to someone, okay, all right, you want to hang around with me? All right, bro, this is how it's going to be. I'm going to tell you the pearls of wisdom. At all, it's just more. You know what? I, I I want to be around people that love God, serve God, worship God, and and contend for that in your life. All right. Anybody else? Okay, I want to open this up, Pete and Gino. Um, in terms of habits, uh, forming good habits and bad habits. Uh, when I was in high school, I wasn't really. Uh, 
into you know, just goofing off. I was, I was that you know, pers- uh, the pencil geek, you know, with the pencil in the pocket and the glasses on. And I used to carry a, a, a briefcase, and every time I would walk into a high school class, they would assume that I was the substitute. But I was the student, you know? And uh, I really worked hard at trying to get out of the ghetto that I was raised in and the poverty mentality. And then I had the opportunity to go to college on a full ride. I got there and I was totally lost. Two years of, you know, wandering, am I going to do this, am I going to do that? Finally decided on getting married. Um, Not really prepared for that because I never had any marketable skills. Got married, at five years later, ended up in divorce. And then I had some college credit, but I dropped out. So I focused on that one thing, and that one thing was education. Education had gotten me out of the ghetto. Education had offered me the opportunity to change my life. Well, I went back to school, finally got my degree, but in the process of going back, I had a lot of bad habits to break, like not studying, like partying, like friends constantly coming to me and saying, man, forget about the books. Just let's go out and have a good time. It can't be all about the books. And I said, no, I messed up before. I'm not going to let this happen again. So I fixated and finally, I got my degree, and that made my whole, my whole life better. But in the process, I got saved, you know? And, and, but I didn't know what salvation was. I know I had bowed my knees to God in, in the isolation of my home, and I had had that uh, godly experience where that oneness with God was really evident. Um, and then I decided to leave New York, come here to San Antonio with my degree in hand and started working. Finally found this church about a year, no, half a year from being here. And I've been here, came here a single guy, ended up being blessed, all based on that one decision. And that was to, you know, pick up the pieces and move on. Very good. All right. Uh, this is what I appreciate. What we're looking at, what I'm after this morning, is testimonies. People that say, this, yes, this is true. Whether it was, I focused on one area of my life, or I decided to change my relationships, and this benefit came to me. Gino? Oh, yeah, my, my so sister. If you could turn the monitor up. I don't know why. I mean, my ears are plugged. I can't hear anything. Yeah, my, uh, my sister and her husband and family, et cetera, came over last night to my house and just to visit. And um, I was sitting there talking to him, his name is Greg, and uh, I was talking to him about, um, you know, someone in my family that's in prison, you know, and they're getting ready to face a lot of time. And I had been writing him some letters and stuff, and we're going back and forth about, um, you know, just about life and stuff. And so I started, I began to uh, communicate through these letters that one of the most important things is he needs to start building good relationships with his family. You know, all of his life, he's, he's, he had this reputation of just kind of doing what he wanted, you know, and burning every bridge in his life. And so I began to talk. I was telling Greg that um, about these letters and stuff. One of, the, one of the issues is that he needs to begin to build relationships is what I'm writing to him about. And he needs to 
uh, begin to focus, and, and, and I know he's limited being in prison and all, but he can still do what it takes to begin to build these, you know, in small areas, knowing that he's, you know, let his kids know that he's thinking about them, that he's uh, praying for them, that he wants to talk to them, he can't wait to see them, and, and just little things like that beginning to build in his daughters, so by the time he gets out seven years from now, he can have something built, you know, and there could be some good, you know, good things going there. And so I was just kind of talking about different things like that. And it's like, you know, uh, like, like this guy got revelation. He's not saved or anything. But he said, you know what, that's, the, that's one of the things that's wrong with, with our family. Because I have a lot of family that's my age, you know, cousins and stuff. And they're all the same way. When it comes to relationships, something that goes wrong in the relationship, they just dump it and go on and, you know, move to the next relationship. You know, uh, like, for instance, you know, kind of give you an idea. I haven't seen my cousins in years after I got saved. And when I finally saw her, uh, she was all excited. Hey, man, you got to meet my new boyfriend. You know, I was telling him all about you. And I said, really? Well, go get him. He goes, well, you're going to have to wait because he's in jail right now. You know, so, well, well, that's kind of relationships. You know, this, you know, you're just, well, make a long story short, he, it, it kind of like he got a revelation. He says, you know what? This is the problem is they think just short term, what the here and the now. You know, if it's not going good, dump it and go, go to the next. And uh, he says, this is, this is uh, you know, it's amazing is that since I've been saved, one of the things that begin to help me with habits, breaking bad habits, is begin to think long term about things. Okay, where am I going to be at five years from now? I don't want to wait. I, I would rather start now and have good things going on in my life five years from now rather than wait five years and then barely be getting started. And, uh, and so I, I begin to tell him this, and it's, it's like, a, like, a, like a revelation. This is exactly the way my, a lot of my family is, is that they don't think long-term about things. And they don't think how this is going to affect my kids, how bad my relationships are going to be, you know, how many bridges am I going to burn if I make these certain decisions. And it's just a short-term, you know, type of mentality. You know, you raise a, a good point, you know, that, um, you know, recidivism, which is the idea of, men who go to prison, they build a social network in prison, and then when they get out, those guys in those first few months have a choice. Are they going to, you know, their whole social life are these convicts, and yet the likelihood that they're going to go commit another crime is so high if they just simply hang around the old, the, 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 the old friends that they met in prison. And if they could be connected to people who don't have the same habits, live the same life, the chances of them getting in trouble again, I mean, they, it goes way down. But if they come out and all their social relationships are, are the same guys they were in the prison with, well, then it's not going to take much for them to, to, to get into uh, uh, trouble. You know, I, I, you know, very often we meet guys on the street, witness to them, and they'll, they'll, they'll say, yeah, I just got out. And I always tell them the same thing. Bro, this is your chance right now. You're just out. Every, every guy walks out of prison and says, I'm not going to do it again. I've learned my lesson. I'm not going back. And they have all these intentions in their mind. But if they gravitate towards the same group, and they're going to pick up their habits. And, and the best thing that could happen for a guy getting out of prison is jump right back into the church, get right into church, and begin to surround himself with people that say, you know what, that are serving God, that I don't have to go back. What a blessing here is having men that have said to me, Pastor, it's been this many years, and, uh, and God has done a miracle. And a lot of that is because I'm, I'm not going to hang around the old crowd any longer. Bethel, right here? 
Francisco. Real quick, as we'll finish up with these two. Uh, Pastor, when I got saved, uh, one of the things that got started dealing with me was my familia, right? Because uh, we're nine in our family, seven of us are educators. And so every Friday we used to party. But I got saved and I just, uh, God started dealing mean, with me. You mean you were a teacher and you were partying? <laughs> yeah. There you go, folks, right there, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, and so we, every Friday we would party at my house, at my dad's house. And all, all the, you know, my brothers and sisters would arrive, start partying, beer, everything. And so when I got saved, God started dealing with me to break that. And I did. And so, uh, you know, I, st- I stopped partying with my familia. I started dating. I stopped dating. With, with girls and all that. And so my family began to accuse me of being gay. And, and, and so, you know, one sister just manifested on me, you're a gay, you don't hang out with your brother anymore, you just hang out with those boys from the church, you know, what are they telling you and all that. And you even stopped dating and, and all that. And, but I really wanted to serve God. And so uh, I, I broke that habit, the habit of la familia, the habit of dating. I really wanted to be a different man. You know, and I remember uh, when I met Diana, my, my wife, uh, and, uh, you know, Diana was, uh, was a different girl than the girls from, from the world. And I, I'd just been saved for about a year and a half or two, and, and I kind of disliked her. It, she, you know, just didn't, I didn't like her at first, right? And God told me, you know what? You're saved from the world, but you, you still have the world inside of you. And I began to work on myself. Uh, Diana and I kind of stopped talking for about a year and, and I began just to focus on God and, and serve the church. And one thing I discovered is that if I love God's bride, he would teach me to love the bride he would bring me one day. And I discovered and, and just began to uh, serve God, you know, clean the church, serve the people there. And uh, later on, I, I bumped into Diana. I don't know where it was, at the mall or something. And I just saw her differently. You know, I just saw, saw something. I go, man. I'm stupid. What am I doing letting this girl, you know, uh, uh, you know some religious guy is going to marry her. And I'm going to, you know, be left with nothing, man. And so I just got a revelation. So I started talking to Diana. And lo and behold, you know, God had given me a different heart. He had yeah. delivered me from some things. All because I changed my company. Uh, the people I hanged around with. And I began to see like God's song. Yes. I really began to appreciate Diana. And yeah. I befriended her again. And uh, I talked to her dad later on, talked to my pastor about dating her, her dad. And we begin to court. And it's been an awesome, uh, you know, Hallelujah. awesome experience. Amen. Amen. No, we'll get your st- first one next Sunday, Francisco. We're out of time. But this is a great, great way to end. We're about to have a wedding right there. What a, what a great testimony. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to stop right here and we'll start church in a few minutes. The Lord bless you. Next week, we'll start talking about good habits.